You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. A little bleary eyed this morning on this Friday. Thank goodness it's Friday for all of us rap fans and even those bandwagoners who stayed up late to watch that incredible win. And uh, I was broadcasting uh, live on our YouTube channel, on our Global News YouTube channel, when the game was over. So I was right down there in Jurassic Park in the heart of it as the fans were streaming out of Scotiabank. And uh, just the incredible energy down there. I'm going to talk more about that. We are also going to be talking uh, this hour about the race in the Arctic. The entire ice-breaking race to try and win over the Arctic. And what Russia is doing and what we are doing and whether or not we are doing enough. And are we on a collision course? Plus, we are going to talk about Oakland. Uh, Next week, I travel to Oakland for games three and four. Does anybody travel to Oakland? What do you do in Oakland? I mean, I understand San Francisco. You go to San Francisco, no problem. But who goes to Oakland? What do you do in Oakland? Food trucks are nice. I understand that. I've looked that up. Apparently, they have a nice, they have a good food culture. We have a good food culture here. I don't need to fly for five hours for food. Food is good here. Thank you. I'm looking for something a little different. But I'm tell- I, what I hear is in our hotel where we're staying to cover the Games 3 and 4 is right by the Oracle Arena. And I'm told, just actually don't go outside. Don't, just don't, don't walk around out there. It's, it ain't safe. It's not safe. Uh, Drake? Hey, listen, listen. How's about Drake last night <laughs> getting right into it again? I love me some drizzy we're going to talk about doug ford now they're excited they're excited about our government actually they're excited about the raptors not uh the government doug big ford bad. big government is indeed bad and this morning you heard in the news that the premier is at darlington and the premier and i share uh, a difficulty and i will admit this to you that this is a big problem for me because i'm a news anchor I can't pronounce nuclear. 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 I keep screwing. Here's Doug Ford today. Nuclear. Did he get that wrong? Hit him one more time. Nuclear. I don't, you decide. Um, I, I'm going to go to the expert on this. Uh, I'm going to go to Homer. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is and this is the truth. I have had so many people call in, and, and it, even Eric Sorensen, who was on this program earlier uh, this week, who is a global news investigative uh, journalist and, and a guy I have an enormous amount of respect for, and I, he came on here and he corrected me, and I I have not slept since because I said it wrong. Oh boy! Uh, thank you, thank you, Doug. Thank you, Premier. Uh, I'm protecting uh, democracy. And mispronunciations. We're we're protecting both of those things. I want to talk about Bill 108 and what you were hearing in the news about uh, Bill 108. The Ford government is looking to have that passed and put right through before Thursday of next week when the House rises for the summer. We have a session, a rare Sunday sitting, to try and get that through. And this morning at Queen's Park, a number of councillors stood up to say, this is a terrible idea. 
And the reason that they have problems with it are several fold. But essentially what Bill 108 does is it changes a bunch of development regulations and environmental protections. And what the government is saying is that this is going to spur housing, that this is going to help break the logjam and the red tape that causes housing to not be built in this province. And we all know what that means and, you know, in terms of affordability and all the rest. But get this, Ontario municipalities of York, Muskoka Lakes, Oakville, Aurora, Lennox Addington, Toronto, all adding their opposition to Bill 108. And many have passed motions or resolutions to that effect. The mayor of Aurora, for example, says his municipality was neither consulted nor informed that these changes were coming. Does that sound familiar to you? Here's Josh Matlow this morning talking about Bill 108. Everything we know about this bill suggests that this is a, a lottery win for the development industry that supported this government's campaign, and it's leaving every community, every endangered species, every green space, and every renter out to dry. Premier Ford, if you're for the people, then advocate for the people, not for the interests of the development industry. And that's what Bill 108 does. It's a handover of the planning process to the development industry. I haven't heard a single municipal council do anything other than pass resolutions to ask for a pause so that we could be consulted in a meaningful way. That is Josh Matlow, of course, a Toronto City Councillor, talking about the number of resolutions that have been passed by municipalities that say, let's take a pause on Bill 108, and let's take a look at some of these schedule changes. There are three schedules in particular. And what that means is is this legislation, which is actually called More Homes, More Choices Act, is what it does is it touches on a number of other pieces of legislation and kind of overrides a number of them, including, as I mentioned, that Endangered Species Act and other elements. Joining me on the phone to talk about the government's position and why the government will not take a pause is MPP Christine Hogarth, who is the Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Hello, Christine. Hello, good afternoon, Alan. Thank you for being with us. Why not take a pause? You seem to have a a lineup of mayors and municipal leaders saying, this is not a good idea, let's hold on. Well, I'll tell you, we've heard from mayors and we've heard from municipalities, we've heard from community members, we've heard from people who want a the dream of home ownership that uh, that uh, we're in a housing crisis and the problem with that is we need some supply so our government got to work right away and our minister of municipal affairs and housing the honorable steve clark uh late last fall uh decided to we need to move forward and that's when we started our consultations but you didn't consult i mean you heard me talk about what the mayors are saying you didn't consult the mayors you didn't give them any time and to say that you know you have support i i I beg to differ. You do not have support from municipal leaders. Well, I'll tell you, in, uh, in the fall, and even I, I personally myself went uh, to, to various municipalities and uh, various uh, communities, and actually there was many mayors that hosted us and hosted roundtables to have this discussion on, on building more homes, more choice. The goal is that we, we had uh, five areas we looked at. We looked at uh, building homes, uh, speed, cost, 
mix, rent, and innovation. And we, we took those three topics and we brought them around the province and we asked people their opinions. And uh, not just in person, there was an opportunity to uh, go online and share your point of view. And we had over 2,000 submissions from people, and most of them, 85% of them, were just regular people who just want home ownership of their ideas of what they wanted to see in this legislation moving forward. The, at the end of the day, young families are searching for their first home. They want to be close to schools. They want to know where they can build a life and raise their families. And seniors who are thinking about downsizing, they want homes to meet their needs at any age. We need to make sure we're building the right homes in the right locations, and we need to build those homes now. Christine, I understand that, and I don't think anybody's arguing with you. That is not the issue at hand. The issue at hand is that your government is proposing to overwrite major protections that that prohibit building you know, in floodplains, for example, and you're just going to say, no, we're just going to take that away. How do you respond to the accusation that this bill essentially hands the planning process over to developers? I have to disagree with you on that. We certainly are not handing it over to developers. There's, there's always going to be protections in place. Uh, so we're not going to be just, they can't just build on floodplains. But you're removing those protections. You know you are. Would you purchase a home on a floodplain? That would be crazy. So we have to, we have to talk a little bit about common sense. And our developers, our home builders, are actually building houses that people will purchase. So we have to make sure we build them in the right locations. And the right location is not on a floodplain. The right location is near a transit hub where people can get to and from work so they can get to their families quicker. And, you know, with our, our, our government's plan to build more transit, we're investing more money than ever any government in transit. We hope that we will, we will achieve this goal. The letter from all of these mayors and municipal leaders that was uh, sent to Steve Clark, uh, you are the parliamentary assistant to Mr. Clark, to Minister Clark, it finishes with this. We request you extend the comment period from June 1st to September 1st and release draft regulations in that period. Will you do that? Well, I'm certainly not going to be speaking on, 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 the, on behalf of the minister. I haven't spoken to him, and you're sitting in committee hearings today. Uh, we did hear from two councillors this morning, and it was it was sad when we talked about the, the consultation process, and they said they did not participate in the consultation process. You know, there were opportunities for them to sit down. We had a big meeting here in Toronto that had over 200 people participating, and those councillors should have been at the table if they had comments at that time. We, we certainly do appreciate and we want to work with them. You know, this is a partnership. This is not just about provincial government. This is about the provincial government. This is about municipalities. This is about home builders. This is about home ownership. This is about helping people find their dream of become, becoming a homeowner, regardless of what that is. If you want to have a rental, if you want to live in a townhouse, if you want to uh, live in a condo, you know, it, it, it's about choice, it's about providing choice. And you know what? It's taken 15 years to get us here. And finally, this government is actioning. Christine Hogarth is the MPP for Etobicoke Lakeshore. She is also the parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Municipal Affairs, Steve Clark. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Alan. Have a wonderful afternoon. We just have to take a quick break, but I will just ask you this. Did you hear answers to the questions that I asked about protection of sensitive areas, environmental areas, protection of endangered species, and giving over the power to make decisions to developers. Did you hear answers to those questions? I'll leave that with you.
from garlic mustard to zebra mussels, Ontario is facing threats in every direction. What I am talking about are invasive species. And in this province, we have to worry about that sort of thing because we never know where the next threat is coming from. And there are advocates that say that the Ford government, in its attempt to rein in the deficit and cut spending, is cutting preventative measures and abilities to be able to react if we have a crisis in the future. To talk about that, I am joined by Belinda Junkin, who is the Executive Director of the Ontario Invasive Plant Council, but which sounds like a science fiction sort of thing, Belinda. Hello, Alan. Um, thank you for the invitation to chat today. And uh, yes, um, we'll stay out of the zombie plant. <laughs> Tell me what is the number one threat to Ontario's biodiversity right now from invasive plants? Um, Canada's worst invasive plant is uh, Phragmites, which is that tall grass you see it on the, often on the side of highways or in marshes. And it grows very high, up to five meters high, and very thick and dense. So no other uh, plant or species can get through it. It kills turtles, all kinds of things. And this is a Eurasian grass species that has, has really taken hold here in this country? Yes, it's all across Canada, and it uh, spreads. It costs uh, a huge amount of money for our municipalities, as they have to deal with it as it the uh, roots of that plant uh, dig up the roadbeds, break up roadbeds, and they block uh, drainage. So you often see the road crews working out on the side of the road. The Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry has reduced your funding from 100000 last year to zero this year. What impact does that have on invasive plants in this province? I would say more than reduced. They eliminated our funding. <laughs> um, <laughs> A little bit stronger word for us. We're a very small group. Um, a small group, I say, that does a lot of heavy lifting on behalf of the province with that money. Um, we're a team of two and a half people. Um, we help and enable people in Ontario to help themselves and to take action on invasive plants. So as a result of the research and the publications, the material, the education that OIPC prepares and distributes, we then enable hundreds of thousands of volunteers to take action. So in exchange for this uh, small amount, $100,000, I realize it's, it's also significant, but small amount of money, it actually brings together gazillions of hours, gazillions of do- dollars that the province would have to pay if they had to hire people to do this work. I guess on a higher level, Belinda, do you appreciate that there must be a reduction in public spending on some level in this province? At a higher level, I do. My concern as a member of the Ontario public is that the invasive plant cost will be greater in the future if we don't manage it today. So what we're doing today by cutting funds to this area will, in fact, cost us more tomorrow. Belinda Junkin is the executive director of the Ontario Invasive Plant Council, and we've managed to get through an entire interview without mentioning zombies. We did. <laughs> Thank you, Belinda. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you very much. And I think I make a, a point here with that last question about the higher level uh, and the admission and the, the acceptance that, yes, spending and public spending must come down. And what you hear again and again are admissions of precisely that, and then a comma, but 
this particular cut is a bad idea because it's preventative. And whether that's public health or whether that's invasive species or so on and so forth, and I think it is wise, and I don't take away from what Ms. Junkin had to say or the veracity of her statements, but I think it is wise to take into account that these are interested parties. They have an, an absolute interest in this in terms of their funding, and I'm not saying that they don't truly believe that this money will go a long way to stop problems before they start, but if that is everyone's contention... How will we ever cut any spending? I want to take my turn our eyes now to the North, because the North, the true North, strong and free, is it strong enough to protect our true North? And you may have heard about this, Canada now officially dedicating an icebreaker to the fleet, to our Canadian fleet, for the first time in 25 years. And this is one of three icebreakers that is going to cast, cost Canada over $820 million. But Russia has a much bigger icebreaker. We have an icebreaker deficit, I think, is what it is. It's not about the size of the icebreaker. It's how you break up the ice with it. Adam Lejeunesse is a fellow at Canadian Global Affairs Institute and is a specialist in the Arctic. Adam, thank you for, so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Why is it important that Russia has a bigger icebreaker than we do? (laughs) Well, I actually don't think it is important that the Russians (laughs) have a much larger icebreaker, although you are right. Um, It's how you break the ice that matters. So the phrase you use, icebreaker deficit, I think it's a little inappropriate in the Canadian context. So yes, the Russians have a significantly larger fleet than we do running uh, several nuclear-powered icebreakers, dozens and dozens of large ships manned by both the government and private uh, companies. How how did you pronounce that again? How did you pronounce that? Nuclear. It's pronounced (laughs) nuclear. (laughs) Sorry, go go ahead. Sorry, keep in mind, (laughs) the Russians have several million people in the Arctic. Uh, Large amounts of industry oil and gas, minerals they're shipping out. The point being, the Russians have a much bigger fleet, but they need it in a way that Canada doesn't. Now, that's not to say we don't need to increase our fleet. We certainly do. But anyone who's trying to tell you that we need to match the Russians, my, my goodness, that's that would be a difficult feat and probably a waste of money. It is, is icebreaker a euphemism? And I, I don't mean to be cute here, but uh, I mean... Obviously, the thing doesn't have guns. They're not dreadnoughts, but I'm reminded of the naval race pre-World War I. And are we in some kind of race here in the Arctic that is going to see a clash at some future date? No, I really don't think so. Icebreakers, as you said, they're, they're not warships. We're not competing with the Russians. Uh, we're not competing with the Americans. If one party has more than the other, that doesn't detract from, say, Canada's sovereignty in the North or our control over the North. I think we have a pretty good idea of what we need, what we're going to use them for. We're seeing a lot more activity up there. I mean, heck, this summer there's a big new cruise ship uh, going through the Northwest Passage. We need vessels in the area to support, to do search and rescue. I mean, we need that. 
but um, but we're certainly not in a competition in the way that uh, you know, the Brits and the Germans were back in the early 20th century. Well, what about those dastardly Danes in that island? Remember, they're trying to take that island? Yes, indeed, Hans, Hans? Island. Well, yes, Hans Island. Hans Island. Yes, at the end of the day, I really don't think that's going to be resolved by who's got the biggest icebreaker. <laughs> we and the Danes have a, a history of very gentlemanly conflict over Hans Island, Canadian Coast Guard or military will pop up there, leave some um, leave some whiskey. I believe it's an, or rye. We leave rye. Hmm. The Danes come the next year. They drink it. They leave some schnapps, and we come back and drink that. We replace each other's flags. We did that for a few years until it got out of hand, and we kind of said, "Well, let's let's resolve." Sure, and then all of a sudden they're leaving <laughs> open face sandwiches, and it gets it gets weird Absolutely. after that. Absolutely, I think you could probably do some ice cubes up there. That would be fine. Adam Lejeunesse, he's a fellow with Canadian Global Affairs, and was talking about the icebreaker race in the Arctic. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I'm not a sports journalist by training or by trade, but last night I had my fancy uh, NBA Finals credentials on, and I I will just say this. I must have now, like, 12 email from the NBA, and every single one of them starts with the following. Do not take pictures of your pass and put them on social media, you idiot. But and, and and at the same time, as soon as you get it, because it's this big laminated thing, it's got your picture on it. It says NBA Finals. You're like, oh, dude, I got to put this on the gram. What a night last night! So fantastic, Drake. Hey, listen. listen. Yeah, we're gonna listen to a little of this. That is so great, and what a scene last night. Such a huge party and such an honor for me to be able to be down there and to cover all of this as a journalist. And, you know, normally I am not a sports journalist, but because somehow I've found my way to this anchorman position, I think just by being last man standing, really, is... It's, it's like, you know, like I'm, a, like I'm the guy on the Titanic. We just hit the iceberg, and they're like, hey, you want to be captain? I was like, I always wanted to be captain. Uh, what, what do you mean linear television's in terminal decline? Well, I'll be captain. Uh, but as a bonus, I get to now cover the finals, and what a night. So much fun. Uh, here's one of the fans summing up. Really, I think what everybody felt about that game. It's amazing. The best game I've ever watched. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. It was, I mean, was nerve-wracking, and I, wa- I got to watch the game from the gondola. Now, if you've been to Scotiabank or formerly ACC, if you look way up, and I mean like Friendly Giant way up, right at the top, that is where the media gondola is. And so basically you're in this sort of, it's almost, it, it's like a box, except for, you know, there's no free hospitality. There was water. There was water. I won't. I, and the sight lines are not great. And you can't cheer. That is not allowed or because it's working journalists. Everybody else gets really mad. 
Uh, but still, amazing to be there, and amazing to see what Pascal Siakam could do last night. What a coming out party for him. You know, just an amazing basketball story that begins in Africa with a basketball camp he attended, only because it was a chance to visit with his sister that he hadn't seen in five years. And then last night, as the Warriors coach Steve Kerr said post game, Siakam was brilliant. He was hitting shots from everywhere. Here's Pascal, Sia- Pascal Siakam post game last night. It just proves that you know if you put the work in, man, and and and, and it's something that is so cliche most of the time, but you know that's that's the story of my life. Just going out there every single night. Um, Working hard to get to this level and knowing that, you know, I have so much to learn and I have, you know, so much room to improve and grow. How about that humility? Keep in mind that during one stretch of that game last night, Siakam made 11 consecutive shots. And that is the longest streak in the finals in the past 20 seasons. Marc Gasol also lighting it up from distance last night. We need him to hit those open trays. Here's Marc Gasol talking about Pascal Siakam. He does a great job of uh, attacking those gaps, um, using his body, um, attacking the angles that the defense is giving you. He can go both ways. Um, I just like when he plays that aggressive. Now, what we are going to have to keep our eye out for is how the Golden State Warriors are going to change. What are they going to do different in Game 2? And what about their superstar, Kevin Durant? News today that Kevin Durant is expected to return to the Warriors lineup midway through the NBA Finals, barring any kind of a setback. That according to Yahoo Sports this morning, that cites league sources that says probably Game 4. There is a strong possibility that by Game 4, Kevin Durant will be back in the lineup. And that will change things for the Raptors. Here's Kawhi Leonard talking about how they have to prepare for the return of Durant. You know, he's another guy that could just score 30 points in his sleep. And everybody knows who he is, and for sure we're going to have to prep for him. That is the equivalent of some of Kawhi Leonard screaming from the top of it. That is, that is actually Kawhi Leonard having a temper tantrum right there is what you heard. Now, Durant has not played since suffering a strain to his right calf in Game 5 of the Warriors' second-round series against the Rockets. He's a two-time Finals MVP. He was with the team in Toronto for Game 1. He's still here in Toronto. But on Wednesday, the head coach, Steve Kerr, didn't sound optimistic that he'd play before the series gets back to Oakland. And now we have confirmation, or at least sources, saying that it's probably Game 4. Here is the Golden State Warriors coach, Steve Kerr, last night, who has a mitt full of rings both as a player and as a coach, talking about how great the Raptors were and what the Warriors need to do now. The two meetings that we had with them, a lot of guys were were missing, including Kawhi uh, in Oakland. He didn't play. Uh, And then I think Steph missed the game up here. Um, Other guys were missing. So it's it's going to be really good for us to have a game on tape where we can um, really pick it apart and see what we can do better. What I love about that is they still call it tape. I love that. You know what? That's It's going to be one of those things in about 20 years, our kids are going to, like, that is going to be a trivia question. What does tape refer to? Because nobody's going to know. Like, let's check the tape. Well, what, what, do you, what is a tape? It's a digital, it's a digital file. What tape? There is no tape.
It is 12.40. I am so excited about this series, and I'm telling you, I want to play this for you, because let's go to Alan number two. This is from last night. I was doing this. This was a a YouTube live um, broadcast post-game, and I'm just going to quote myself here, because, well, it's my show. I can do what I like. But I think this sums up what a lot of people were thinking. You know, I talked uh, during our, our Supper Hour newscast how about back in 1995 when they launched this franchise, there were the doubters, there were the naysayers who said, this is a hockey town, it'll never take. And look where we are now. And I, I felt that same way this week when I heard American media and the majority of sports media throughout North America say the Warriors have this in the bag. And I think tonight, this town... This city and this team has sent a wake-up call to the league and to the sports world. Wake up, because the Raptors are here, and it is not going to be a steamroll for Steph Curry. Let's go, Raptors! We the North! Let's go, Raptors! We're going to talk about Oakland in just a couple of moments. Uh, For those of us, uh, any of you out there planning to go to games three and four in Oakland, what do you do in Oakland? Is there, other than get a cheap hotel room to be able to be close to San Francisco, is there any other reason? We're going to talk about that. But first, I want to quickly bring you up to date on a couple of quick stories that I find fascinating. Uh, This one, Paris wants a Princess Diana Square at the site of her death. Uh, Paris City Hall says that they want to rename a small plaza after Princess Diana at the site of the 1997 car crash that killed the British royal. Now, it's, it's actually adjacent to the tunnel where the accident occurred, but the plaza already has a name. It is named after opera singer Maria Callas, Do you know that name? Does anybody know that name? I'll tell you a little quickly about her. She was the most famous opera singer of the last century for a period of time. Uh, And then she, remember, she she had a a long relationship with Greek shipping magnate Aristotle Onassis, who then unceremoniously dumped her to marry Jackie. Uh, And Maria Callas, if I check the Wikipedia, she is the definition of a diva as an artist, and now may be bumped for Princess Diana. Moving to New York City, where the council there is now considering turning the Island of the Dead into a city park. New York City officials are considering a plan to turn an island where poor and homeless people have been buried for 150 years into a park. About a million people have been buried on Hart Island since 1869. Roughly over 1,100 unclaimed bodies are buried there each year in graves dug by jail inmates. Nice place to take the kids. Let's take you to Sandy Springs, Georgia, where police in Atlanta have now dropped a felony charge against a rapper named Offset who was accused of knocking a cell phone out of a fan's hands. Essentially what happened is this guy, this this fan was videotaping this rapper, and he knocks the phone out of his hands, and it breaks, and Buddy, Buddy wants the money back, and he gets a felony charge. But that's been dropped. That's good to know. I want to take you quickly. Where else are we going to go to Poland? I love this one. This one is odd. Poland's ruling party leader and president has weighed in now to save the lives of a herd of 180 cows and bulls that have gone feral after years of neglect, 
The bulls and the cows were ordered to be slaughtered, but Poland's most powerful politician said this week that the herd is going to be saved for humanitarian reasons. Turns out that this leader of Poland, I'm not going to try his name because I'll blow it, Kaczynski, I believe, is a famed cat lover. Cats and cows. Surely a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, Last story, Allentown, Pennsylvania. A Pennsylvania amusement park will no longer sell a bullet cartridge keychain that could be personalized with the buyer's name. Uh, People said they felt a mix of horror and disbelief when they saw this souvenir for sale, and obviously with the concerns about guns, maybe not the best. Hey, get your personalized bullet over here. 1248, let us talk about Oakland, shall we? Because games three and four coming up next week... On Tuesday and Friday of next week at Oracle Arena in Oakland. This will be the last games played in Oakland at Oracle because we're going to sweep them. We'll never play another game there. Uh, but if we don't sweep them, nevertheless, this is the last series that will play be played in Oakland. And I'm booked in to go. I'm flying with the team on Tuesday, and I'm staying in a sweet days in, I think, right next to the <laughs> Arena. Uh, Rusi Quay is a, a publicity associate at Lonely Planet, and Allie Neal is the public relations manager at Visit Oakland, and they both join me on the line. Hello, both of you. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about Oakland, and I'll start with you, Allie, from Visit Oakland. I've been on your website. I love your website. It talks about all the great things that you can do in Oakland, but it does also kind of accept the fact that most people probably are coming for cheap hotels to be able to visit San Francisco. I mean, is that the bottom line? No, that's not That's not all. We actually have a ton to do in Oakland. Um, we were actually named a best trip location for 2019 by National Geographic this year. So we're finding that Oakland has so much to do right now. The city is really in a renaissance, and we have, you know, amazing restaurants, an awesome arts and culture scene, and we even have some family activities and outdoor activities as well. So really exciting right now in Oakland. Rusi Alley is paid to say those things. You're not. What's Oakland like to visit? Oakland is incredible, um, and I'm really glad to hear that you'll be here through to Friday for the very third game, um, because you'll be here just in time for First Fridays, um, in which the first Friday of the month in Oakland is a huge celebration um, this coming June 7th uh, in downtown Oakland. It's a huge art and community experience with craft beer and food and live music and um, a lot to enjoy downtown as well. Ali, I'll throw it back to you. I've been to San Francisco. I've I've seen the you know what, what are those? Not they're not seals. What are they? They're wall, down on the wharf. They're they're seals. The sea lions. The sea lions. That's what I'm looking for. They stink. They they're not. They're lovely to see. It's fun to see, but they smell terrible. Uh, Ali, <laughs> so obviously you probably don't have marine wildlife stinking up a wharf, but what do you have? We have our own Oakland Zoo in Oakland, and they actually just opened a um, new California trail last summer, and that is basically dedicated to all of California native species and wildlife and plants, so that's an awesome place to check out if you want to see wildlife. 
Um, and then we also have our own redwoods in Oakland, which many people don't know. Um, so that's another great kind of outdoor experience in Oakland. Yeah, I read about that, that there's a, a, quite a bit of hiking in Oakland, which I was surprised to read about. But, Rusi, back to you. I am staying right near Oracle. Uh, is that a good idea to be walking around? I mean, we have Jurassic Park in, in Toronto, where we have a lot of people out outside of the stadium. Is that going to be happening on game nights? Yeah, I think that um, walking around and imbibing the atmosphere, if you will, um, I'm sure that there will be a lot of food stands and people milling about. What would you recommend uh, food-wise? And I'll throw that to you, Allie. Yeah, we have an amazing culinary scene. Um, There's actually over 125 languages spoken in Oakland. So you'll really see this diversity in our culinary scene. Um, so we have, you know, we have so many different types of cuisine. We have Asian food, we have Mexican food, we have basically any type of cuisine that, you know, you want to try. But I would definitely recommend trying our taco truck. Oh, you, now, you, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah, those are some of the best tacos that I've ever had. What I would it, definitely check out. What, do they just drive around like ice cream trucks? or so, well, How does that work? No, so we, they're stationed in certain areas. We have one along Lake Merritt that's there quite quite a bit, and they're there late into the night. So I would definitely check out the taco truck on Lake Merritt. I would prefer if they drove through town, like, you know, neighborhoods with the jingle going and kids came running out saying, Taco truck! That would be awesome. Uh, that would be. Uh, are you, uh, Allie, are you worried about the fact that you guys are losing the team? I mean, if they're going to go across the, the bay. They may be renamed the San Francisco Warriors going forward. Um, we are definitely sad to see them go. Um, but, you know, they had an amazing run in Oakland, and um, the team has been thanking Oakland for all the great years they had here. So, Definitely, you know, sad to see them go, but grateful for the years that we yeah. have been here. Yeah, too bad about that run ending. Too bad about it ending <laughs> with, with a Raptors win in the finals. Uh, Rusi Quay is a publicity associate for Lonely Planet, and Allie Neal is the public relations manager at Visit Oakland. And we've been talking about sweet Oakland and going to visit there next week with the Raptors. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us, Alan. Well, we're just about out of time here on a Friday. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. We are ready for the weekend. Doug Ford, are you ready for the weekend? They're excited. They're excited about our government. No, I I said the weekend, but thank you very much, Drake. Hey, listen, listen. Let's go, Raptors. We'll see you again on Monday. Let's go, Raptors. Oh, my God.